Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Gian Gameshi essay, I'm not sure if you had a chance to read it, came out just a few days ago online and certainly got a lot of attention. But it was a costly one. Not so much for Mr. Gameshi, but certainly for the guy who decided to publish what he had to say. Ian uh, Baruma is a very accomplished writer all on his own. And he says he wasn't fired by the New York Review of Books, but rather uh, it was very obvious that he had to resign after it became clear advertisers were threatening to walk away. But he very much stands by his decision to publish the disgraced broadcaster because the whole point of the essay, according to him, was to discuss, you know, what do we do with these men who are taken out by Me Too for doing bad things, but who aren't sent to jail? And ironically, now the guy finds himself taken out by the same court of a public opinion. My next guest came forward with sexual harassment allegations against a high-profile liberal MP, Kent Hare, earlier this year. So she has had a front seat at the Me Too table. But, you know, does she support the silencing of voices? Let's ask her. Her name is Kristen Raworth. I hope I am saying that right. She's a sexual and violence survivor and now an advocate. Hi there. Great to have you here. Hi, thank you for having me. Where do you stand on, you know, pushing out, and I'll get to your thoughts on the the Gameshi essay uh, in just a in a, just a minute. But what was your reaction when you heard this this editor was pushed out? You know, I think my feeling is that I don't necessarily think that he should have been pushed out. I I would have liked to have actually seen. Uh, some pressure on him and on the publication to do a sort of a callback piece. So if they're going to do a piece on what the entire issue was called the fall of men. So the perspective was primarily from the perspective of men who have been, for lack of a better word, called out, like you said, by the Me Too movement and who've been called to accountability for some of their actions. I would have actually liked to have seen him and the publication go forward with an article devoted to the women who have come forward around this movement and what their lives have been like. I don't think that firing him or forcing him to resign is necessarily the best choice because I think as a broader thing that that is kind of a silencing to a lot of people within the media movement now around what you publish, what you don't publish. I can understand why he published it. I didn't like the article. I have a lot of strong opinions on the article, Mm -hmm. but I can absolutely understand why he chose to do that. Right. And I understand it, too, because I think even if you go with the Gian Gameshi story first, that there still is a ton of time to do the follow-up conversation, to put uh, out other voices, to put the dissenting voices out, yeah. to put the other women out who were the accusers, put their voice out, and then have people write in whether or not they buy what Mr. Gameshi is selling. But yeah. again, it's like this triggered, knee-jerk reaction we see so quickly with this particular movement that you know the advertisers talk and the businesses want to walk and say, yeah, we can't deal with this. Well, and oftentimes I think that the issue that lies sometimes within the Me Too movement is that I firmly believe that it is extremely important to give uh, survivors' voices a platform, and that should be the number one part of what this movement is. But it shouldn't just be about 
having a publisher of a magazine fired. It should be about systematic change and change within our country and our country's laws and what those look like and moving to that as opposed to this knee-jerk reaction that I think oftentimes isn't productive in terms of trying to make real change in our country that actually makes lives of survivors better. Right, because my concern would be um, that eventually people will start tuning out of Me Too if they feel like anything that they say is going to get either yelled at, shut down, or they're going to be vilified. I mean, I think there's a real problem or danger that we we end up villainizing uh, the very women or people who come forward in Me Too. You know, they'll end up being the bad guy. Yeah, and I think that part of that, I've heard that from people that I know who, who don't know how to engage in this conversation. And a big part of that is extending uh, this dialogue beyond preaching to the converted and trying to have conversations with people who this is a very difficult conversation to have. And what I think we see very frequently, especially in the current political uh, environment, especially in the U.S. around Brett Kavanaugh, Mm -hmm. is that people become very ideologically based. So if it's someone that you like, you aren't going to believe them. If it's someone that you don't like, then you're all on board. This isn't an ideological issue. And so we need to start having those conversations and talking about changing the culture that we're in so that this doesn't happen anymore or that we can stop this happening and create an environment where survivors are safe, but also create an environment where we're strengthening our legal system so that everybody gets a fair shake when it comes to this kind of stuff. And that's what I don't think we've put enough focus on. On both sides, though, you're talking about the accuser yeah, and the absolutely. accused, right? Because, 100%, yeah, yeah, and I think you raise an important point that this cannot be a partisan thing because you know we hear so much about the Kavanaugh situation, but you know Keith Ellison on the other side is a very, very big player on the Democratic side. He's got some very serious allegations against him. Bill Clinton had very big allegations against yeah. him, and for whatever reason, they're kind of put into a different category. Do you get the sense that there's kind of we we seem very selective with who's going to be taken out? Well, and it's that's actually just at the root of, I think, why a lot of survivors don't disclose, because the majority of survivors, 80% of survivors, will experience what's called acquaintance sexual assault. So they're going to be assaulted by someone that they know and that they love. So when they're disclosing, they're oftentimes disclosing to people he, who equally love and respect that person. And frequently those disclosures are met with disbelief because you don't want to believe that this is done by someone that you like. Or in the case of Keith Ellison, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, is done by people that you like or that you respect politically. So you will only believe these kind of admissions when it's done against someone you already do not like. And that in and of itself creates an environment where survivors are not going to disclose. And we are going to have situations where people wait 15, 20, 30 years to disclose their experiences because they are not believed initially. Right, exactly. And so when you read the Gomeshi essay, I mean, I, uh, my takeaway will be different than, let's say, yours. But what was your immediate takeaway? Well, it's interesting because in your lead up, one of the things that you talked about was around how do we create an environment where men can take accountability or where we talk about how do we work with, with men who've, ex- who've done this mm-hmm. or are talking about their experiences. Gomeshi had an incredibly huge platform to address that mm-hmm. and just completely neglected it. He did not take an opportunity to speak in a way about how he's treated women and how you can change and how he could have changed. Uh, Understanding, of course, the ramifications of some of the things he could or could not have said in that article. Um, It's about addressing the disrespect and the way that 
a lot of men feel entitled to take advantage of women, which is what, again, creates the environment where a lot of people experience harassment and sexual violence. And he had that opportunity to speak to those men because he is, I think, seen by a lot of people as a voice, even still now, four years later after what happened, seen as a voice in this movement. So that was that opportunity. He didn't get it. What it was basically was a 3,000-word essay on how sorry he felt for himself. Right. And there may very well be legal arguments to be made as to why he didn't use certain language, yep. whether civil action would be um, uh, something that he has to c- be yep. concerned around. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on that point. Um, is there anything he could say or do now, do you think? I, I don't think he'll ever work in the business of broadcast, certainly not in Canada. But is there anything, um, you know, should he or others like him, whether it be Mr. Kent Hare or our prime minister or anybody, uh, have a second chance if, in fact, they're not found guilty of doing anything? I mean, my perspective is and has always been that it's not my call on, on Mr. Gameshi or Trudeau in terms of their their personal experiences. That's up to the people that they've hurt to mm-hmm. make that decision as whether or not they forgive them, whether or not they feel that there's been that accountability. Um, I personally uh, did receive a letter of apology from Kent Hare. Mm-hmm. I have accepted that apology. However, what I've made the point of consistently is that that apology from Hare means nothing if the Liberal Party of Canada is not going to act on these issues. Because it's one thing to apologize as a political leader Again, moving away a little bit from Gomeshi, but if you're a political leader and you apologize, that's one thing. It's another thing as to whether or not you're actually going to take action on the issues that matter to people. An apology to me is relevant to me. Action on sexual violence in this country is relevant to hundreds of thousands of survivors. And currently, the Liberal Party of Canada has not done that. Do you regret, regret or have any regrets of coming out publicly and becoming uh, you know, a face uh, of such a big movement? You know what, I, I, I feel like for a long time I, I, I did a little bit because obviously it was extreme. I, I received death threats. Sure. I received, I, it was horrible in that way. Um, but what's been meaningful for me is the people who've reached out to me and the people who've said to me that they spoke out about their experiences because they saw me speak out. And that's really what this movement is to me. And now it's, it's given me an opportunity to speak to someone like you and to, to sort of be able to be, a voice and hopefully really push change for the issues that matter to me. And then the things that I want to see change legislatively, both mm-hmm. in this country and in Alberta, which is the province that I live in. Yeah. I mean, the conversation is not uh, not over, certainly, but it does seem to be going in ebbs and flows. And I, I get concerned when I, you know, you start yep. to see people uh, fired from their jobs or pushed out because they have differing opinions. Uh, I think that signals a little bit of a dangerous time that I think we should avoid going down. I get concerned when it becomes so much about the salacious details of one case Mm -hmm. and not about the systemic change that we actually need. Again, not to take away from the individual cases that come to uh, people's accounts and get get all over Twitter for two days, but that in and of itself is not going to make a change. And like I've spoken about before, for example... Um, and I'm going to go on a little rant, but uh, Rona Ambrose introduced a, a private member's bill almost two years ago now, Bill C-337, which was to mandate sexual violence training for judges in our country. That has been stalled for over two years. There has been no action on that. Mm-hmm. 
And that would have made a huge difference for the women in the Gomeshi trial. That would make a huge difference for survivors across this country. And so instead of the media paying attention to individual cases and then not caring for another six months, it would be really nice to see that being the focus. Yeah. And why is that bill not passed? When we have a prime minister who calls himself a feminist and says that all of these things are so important to his government, but yet that bill is stalled. Yeah, there's that and uh, the playbook that the prime minister doesn't have. You would think by now maybe he would have written that up in the three years he's had time to do. But nonetheless, uh, actions speak a lot louder than words. Uh, Kristen, great to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. That is uh, Kristen Raworth uh, joining us to talk out and, and speak out on to, you know, why why even she says don't silence these people. And, and I noticed on, on Twitter last night, you know, if someone like Kristen can come out and say, hey, hey, hey hold on a second back up here. This is not the right route to go. And she's part of this movement or has had experience in the movement. Then clearly it's not just a select number of people saying this is wrong. So let's kind of chill out, take a deep breath and maybe do this with a bit of thought before you snuff out the conversation all together because that's not what we want to do. Here on Point, I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio.